Now, um, thanks to all of your generous giving, we're able to not only grow as a church, but also grow in our giving towards organizations that we believe in. And one such organization that we believe in is Foster the City, formerly known as Foster the Bay. And Foster the City is a coalition of churches helping to provide loving um, homes for children in the foster care system. And so um, we're excited to announce this morning that we will continue our partnership with Foster the City with a gift of $15,000. And so we're excited to continue to work with Foster the City in this important work. And so with this gift, I'm excited to get to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Um, Dave Carlson is the co-founder of Foster the City and the lead pastor at Neighborhood Bible Church. In his free time, he's also an avid outdoorsman and actually just got back from a nine-day adventure in the Yosemite wilderness. The good news is he did decide to shower and shave for us, so he's looking his best before he gets up on stage. We've been able to uh, you know, partner with Foster the City in a couple of different ways over the years, um, the Games for Good events, as well as the um, Christmas gifts for foster families in Santa Clara County. Uh, our own Pastor David has also spoke to how Dave Carlson has been uh, just a wonderful influence on his life and a steadfast source of encouragement. And so without further ado, I would like to introduce Dave Carlson. Thanks, Adam. Adam, you're going to come introduce me at my home church next week. Thank you for that. Well, listen, I have been to your church before, but it was not here. It was at a uh, retirement center. Is that right? Yeah. And it was a few years ago. Um, I had my first sabbatical after 22 years of full-time ministry. I was given six weeks by our church, and um, I had the opportunity to visit six churches in the Bay Area, and you guys were one of them. Um, I'm a lifelong San Jose resident, so I was so excited to, uh, to come and worship with you guys specifically, um, in part because... Uh, David and I became friends, and I really, I really prayed uh, along with many others. I feel like I prayed this church into existence. Um, David just shared the dream that God had, and he and Cindy uh, just have become friends. They, their Christmas card hangs uh, on our wall in our house. So I remember and think to pray for this church on a regular basis. So it is a thrill to, to get to be here. Um, I remember really clearly it was during... Um, I think it was during the Paradise Fire. It was back when smoky air was novel and brand new. Now it's not. Now we're used to having that like every other week. Um, but I remember you guys had almost canceled church. And our kids remember your church as the church that served them breakfast. That's what stood out to them. So David's message didn't jump out. The worship team didn't jump out. It was they fed us food. And that was a good thing. So super excited to get to be here with you. Um, so I am, I'm a local pastor. I, I serve down Highway 85 by a bunch of miles in South San Jose, and, um, and, and I'm here really, really in representation with Foster the City. My role with Foster the City is this. Um, I think co-founder is a strong, uh, generous thing. I didn't really co-found it, um, but I was the third teammate ever on the team, so I have been with Foster the City uh, since before we, were, before we had a name. Um, and my one role, my singular function on this team is to meet with pastors 
and build our coalition and, and nurture the coalition. Um, and so, uh, and so I go around and meet with pastors, meet, meet with church staffs, um, and speak on behalf of vulnerable children in our area. And so that's really what I'm here to talk about this morning. Um, listen, our text this morning is found in Ephesians. So if you would turn to Ephesians five, I love that we just sang the first few chapters of Ephesians. That's pretty amazing. There were some, there were some amazing themes in there. Uh, anyone, anyone here, uh, Olympic junkies, you just love watching the Olympics like me. No, there's like four of us, uh, being gone for nine days during the Olympics was a little bit hard, especially since I had to wait a full extra year for it. Uh, so I have been gorging on the Olympics the last few days and with the whole spotlight of the world on Tokyo, um, a couple of things stand out. One is this, the, the Olympics teach us that sports can unite us as people, right? It can kind of cut across uh, country lines and all of that. And secondly, we love the, the ranking of medals. We love to see who came in what place. Uh, if you're in one of the countries that has loads of medals, you love the medal count screen. You're always paying attention to who has the most medals. So that's the positive spotlight of ways that the whole world's united. There's an undercurrent, there's an underbelly to that. And this isn't being talked about. This isn't being spotlighted. And that is this, the whole world, every country you've seen in the Olympics is united in the fact that they all have orphans in their country, every one of them. There are children and babies and young people who are at risk, who are vulnerable in their country. We are united as a world around this topic. Now, we don't like to rank when it comes to who has the most orphans, who's doing the worst job at caring for their own children. No one likes to talk about that. I don't know who has the medal, uh, which would be a sad medal to have, but we don't like that ranking, but God knows, right? There are, there are factual numbers around the world with every single country doing some measure of good and some measure of neglect toward children in their countries. So th this morning as we talk about this, um, I'm going to take the spotlight and say, Olympics is fun, I love all of that, but we're actually going to spotlight something that isn't talked about very much and isn't brought to the surface very much. Uh, I'm really moved by the announcement that just happened that, that a church like this is saying we are, we are significantly investing in Foster the City in a fresh way. And I'm going to talk about your partnership here in a little bit some more. I'm a pretty simple guy, and so I like it when the scriptures kind of put things in, in little packages that I can hold. And if you're new to the Christian faith, if you're exploring the Christian faith, or if you're an old school veteran like me, let me give you the Christian faith in seven perfect words, okay? Straight from scripture. 1 John 4.19 says this. You've heard it before. We love because he first loved us. Man, I hope as a Christian, I hope as an explorer of Christianity, you keep coming back to this passage. It says so much. We love. It's a communal thing. We belong to the family of God. We're here together this morning. This is important. We love as a response to something. The gospel is all about something that, that happened to us, right? Not something we do to earn it. We love because he first loved us. Let me tell you how this fleshes out. It means that we don't extend patience in some vague hope that God will then be patient with us. 
We don't try to muster up forgiveness for people who've, who've wronged us in this, in this vague sense that maybe God will then have to forgive us. We don't throw out little seeds of grace and then hope that God will, will be gracious with us. No. Instead, the Father's infinite patience with us, it produces patient children. We have absolutely no hope in forgiving people who have wronged us knowingly or unknowingly, past, present, or future, without the deep understanding of the forgiveness that we have received, are receiving today, and will receive in the future from an all-loving and all-knowing God. So because we're forgiven, that produces in us the capability to extend forgiveness to those who injure us. And because God extends grace upon grace, like waves of the ocean, just watch the waves come in over and over and over. You will never sick and tire of singing of God's grace if you have a clear picture of it. Those waves of grace, as we understand it, as we receive it, as we walk in it, you know what it produces? produces a community of people that just breathe out grace. Honestly, it's beyond comprehension. We're not even trying to muster this up. We live as gracious people because we don't just sing about it on Sunday. We breathe, this is the air we breathe all week long. So it is with orphan care. So it is for stepping into caring for vulnerable children. We don't do that so that maybe God will care for us. Maybe God will see us in our need and welcome us in. No, we do that because of what we just sang. We're chosen. We've been adopted into God's family. We have a place of belonging. We're secure. Church, tell me, do you have an inheritance that's set and secure? Yes or no? Yes. And that's powerful news to understand. So because of that, honestly, the most natural thing I can think of is to turn around and live out the experience that we have already experienced to other people. So that's our motivation. That's our source of power. That's the, the motive and the, and the thought behind why we would do this. Caring for vulnerable children is a result of understanding what the Heavenly Father has already done for us. So I'm not sure why you're at church today. I'm not sure why you might be watching online. But I'm, I'm pretty convinced of something. I'm pretty convinced that every single person within the sound of my voice has some understanding of the orphan crisis going on in the world today. And I'm pretty certain that every single one of us has at some point or another, maybe in an ongoing way, thought, I have to do something about it. I have some role to play in this. Let me tip my hand and tell you what I've been praying for for this church. I pray that this morning, I hope to challenge and maybe change your mind about a couple of things. One is about the size and power and heart of our God. And number two is your personal role in the worldwide orphan crisis. 
Okay, those are my lofty goals. Do you see why I'm a man of prayer? I have to pray and say, God, you have to do that because I can't headlock anyone into caring about vulnerable children. That'd be dumb and it doesn't work. So God, it has to be a work of you to kind of move through this. So I want you to consider for a second, no matter how old you are, consider the lives of your parents. Think about how many needy children they came across in their lifetime. Relatively small, right? Even if they were world travelers, they came across a relatively small number of children. Now I want you to consider your own life. Because of this little device that sits in our pockets, we are aware of all the needy children that we want to be aware of on this device. Not only presently, not just locally, but globally and through all of history should we choose to look at that. Here's what's the reality. We are drowning with needs. There's so much hurt and need in the world that floods us. And what happens when we see all the need is we have this thing well up in us. I think it's the image of God imprinted in us. It says this, we have to do something. We have to do something. I was a youth pastor at a large church where I grew up, met my wife and married her. And I had about 100 plus middle schoolers for an all night party. I'm on stage and we're doing some crazy relay. If I was a youth pastor now, I would have been sued and locked up and put in prison. But back then you could do crazy stuff. We had kids running around doing this relay, and a kid right over here in a room about this size, a little bit bigger, broke his leg. I didn't know he broke it at the time, but a junior hire screaming out in pain. Like you, when I hear a child screaming out in pain, here's what rushed to my mind. We have to do something. Out of 100-plus junior hires and 25-plus adult leaders, there was one guy in the room, and he said something totally different. He said this, I have something to do. You see, he was a paramedic with the fire department. He knew exactly what to do in that situation. He came over, tended to the kid. The kid ended up healing. It was great. Isn't that powerful? To say that we have to do something is a helpless, paralyzing state. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. But we have to do something. I think our country is churned up in a lot of ways right now. We have to do something. I think that's really, really good. But if you stay, we have to do something for long. You, you either shut it down because you can't live in that state. Or you figure it out. I think moving from we have to do something to I have something to do is so powerful. Here's a question for you, church. What if this morning, what if this morning you could walk away knowing some sliver of your role in the orphan crisis worldwide? What if you could walk away knowing I have something to do? It's not all that I will do for the rest of my life, but I have something to do. Here's the truth. We do have something to do. When I say the word orphan crisis, by the way, I'm not being alarmist. I'm not being sensational. In fact, if anything, it's an understatement. Oh, it's but a flesh wound. It's like that. It's a really, really, really big deal. And when people hear me say that, sometimes I've had pushback. People said, yeah, well, how come I don't know much about it? I think because of three things. Because it's hard. Because it's common. And because it's being actively covered up. Because it's hard, because it's common, because it's covered up. 
Ephesians 5, follow along with me if you have your Bible open. If not, listen carefully. And if not, not, I think it'll actually be on the screen potentially. Yes, here it is. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. My prayer for today is that today would be exposing and making visible darkness in the world. Again, if the spotlight is shining on Tokyo for all of the sports reasons, that means there's a whole world that doesn't have light shining on it at this moment. And think about it. After the Olympics die down, what will it be? We don't know, but it'll be something. Someone's making decisions of where to shine the spotlight and where to leave it dark. Today, I hope, is a stirring awake of sleepy people with the urgency of keeping awake those of you who are awake to this and of teaching God's will, which I believe is in plain sight. A book I'd recommend to you, it's written a while ago, but it's called Hold in Our Gospel, The Hold in Our Gospel by Richard Stearns. And there's a quote in there that he says this, whenever a major jetliner crashes anywhere in the world, it sets off a media frenzy. Now imagine if tomorrow morning you saw the following headline, 100 jetliners crash, killing 18,000 people. Think of the absolute pandemonium that this would create. How many agencies would mobilize to make sure that this never happened again? Okay, not hard to imagine. We've seen some wild stuff in our day. Now I want you to imagine that the very next day, 100 more planes crashed. And then the following day, 100 more planes crashed. The following day, another 18,000. The following day, another 18,000. You get the picture. It is unimaginable that something so terrible could ever happen, and yet it did, and it does. It happened yesterday, it happened today, and it will happen again tomorrow, and yet there's hardly a whisper of this. Why? Because it's hard, because it's common, and because it's being covered up. Let me shock you with a, uh, a saying found in newsrooms across our country. This is from a book called Compassion Fatigue. She writes this. In the news business, one dead fireman in Brooklyn is worth five bobbies, five English bobbies, who are worth 50 Arabs, who are, with, who are worth 500 Africans. Look at this equation for a second. Terrible, but maybe it's true. Could you put the next slide up? This is the equation. One firefighter, five bobbies, 50 Arabs, 100 Africans. Why? I think it's because of this. Our compassion is directly correlated to people that are close to us. Close to us socially, geographically, economically, culturally, ethnically. 
What if the orphan crisis is not newsworthy? Quite simply because they aren't our kids. Those struggling far away seems to hit us less than those who are close to us. That's why one dead fireman is newsworthy, but 500 people in Africa somewhere is not. At heart, I think we are all the Pharisee and the priest in the Good Samaritan story. What do they do? Cross the street and go on by. But is this how Jesus wants it? Jesus says that to love God and then neighbor was the greatest commandment. He kind of paired them together. He really sums up all 10 commandments with that one. Talk about portable truth. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Done. Nothing new. Generosity and joyful open-handedness characterize God's people. There's more than 2,000 verses I could read. I won't do that, but let me put a few on the screen. Proverbs, the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concerns. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Going down to Matthew 18, freely you've received, freely give. You know, Jesus picks up on this theme. He goes as far as to say that when you've helped the poor, you're helping him. What if Jesus was in an orphanage sometime uh, somewhere across the ocean? What if Jesus was in need of a family and a home and a safe place while the birth family got it figured out here in our city? In Jesus' inaugural sermon in Luke chapter 4, he opens to Isaiah. You've heard this before, but he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isn't it true that whoever so may come can come to Jesus? Yes. But is it also true that some are just more vulnerable? Could it be that they're so often highlighted in the scripture because we tend to keep certain groups of people at bay and out of sight? And to those who pretend not to notice, there's a really stern warning. Look at Proverbs 21. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry and not be answered. James 4, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You know, different needs motivate different people. As I go around and talk about foster care, I get people coming up and saying, you know, at least in the foster care system, they have plenty of food, plenty of water, supervision, and a roof over their head and beds. What about the people overseas who don't have any of that and they're dying? I say, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Go help them. Go be a neighbor to them. If that's what's on your heart, go. I agree with that. Go do that. And then for those who've done international adoption, people say, well, what about right here in your own city? How come you haven't done something for them? I say, wow, it sounds like you have a heart for kids in our city. Did you know there's an organization called Foster the City? I can help you get connected. Get to work. Quit yapping about it to me. So God moves us in different ways. I have something to do looks different than I have something to do or you have something to do. So we don't worry about our brothers and sisters like we do at Christmas time. What did they get? What did they get? Is it fair? Is it equal? 
What is your something to do? Then get after it. Making the best use of your time. You're not going to be held accountable for your kid's time, your parent's time, your roommate's time, your boss's time. You make the best use of your time. Understand what the will of the Lord is. One of the greatest things about being a part of Foster the Bay is seeing people move from liking a cause on Facebook for you older crowd or hearting an Instagram post for you younger crowd. I heart orphan care. I like orphan care. I love seeing people move from liking and hearting to actually doing something about it. Wouldn't you say there's a huge difference between caring about vulnerable, vulnerable children and caring for vulnerable children? And if you've ever cared for children, you're like, yeah, there's a huge difference. I care about the children of the world. I don't care for all of them. Current SV has been a partner church with Foster the Bay for some time now. I want you to know David has been an incredible pastor to work with. And I always love, I always love connecting with him. I love hearing an update on kind of how you guys are doing. Um, so excited about this idea of Foster the City. What happened is this, the vision for Foster the Bay happening in all 10 counties around the Bay Area has occurred. And so the model and the heart and the passion of God's people has raised up, filled up the Bay Area, and now it's essentially spilling out into other regions. It's now pouring down into Southern California, and we're in talks with other regions around the country. We had to do a name change because Foster the Bay didn't make sense anymore. So Foster the City was launched, I think, just a month ago. It was an incredible, incredible moment to just see the work of God happen with that. Let me tell you what I love about your website, here for good. Man, that's a really powerful call. I'm a lifelong San Jose native. I married a lifelong San Jose native. I love living in the Bay Area. I am here against all odds. I'm here as long as God wants me to be. I should not be here. My wife doesn't work outside the home for pay. And I'm a pastor that doesn't rip people off like a televangelist. So somehow I'm still here in the Bay Area, and we love it. Here for good. To me, that's like planting a stake, saying, we're here. But there's something else about that, isn't that? We are here for good, for the good of this area. Man, I just, that preaches to me. So here for good, what a tagline, what an ongoing call to each one of you, brand new or long time, to figure out what you're here for. What good specifically? What specific good are you here for? I think if we live convinced that we're sent by God to complete something, it absolutely changes our life. Do you live like you're sent by God on a mission to complete do you understand what the will of the Lord is in your life? What did Jesus say about it? John 17, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. What's Jesus doing? He's praying for his followers, not just his immediate ones. The context of John 17 says not only these followers, but the followers that these teachers are going to teach and teach and teach. That's the lineage to us sitting here today. Do you live convinced that God has sent you here for a reason, for some specific good. You know, God doesn't just drop us into the planet for no reason. 
We're not just supposed to guess and grope our way through life. Or worse, live from entertainment to entertainment, experience to experience, climb some mythical corporate ladder, whatever nonsense might come up. You want to have a road to a dead end? That's it. I'm old enough now. A lot of my high school buddies, um, they've chased that path. I see where that goes. No life in it. We have a project to complete. I want to discover mine, know mine, keep on track with mine, and get after it. You know, one day, I'm really convinced I'm going to give an account for my time. On that day, I want to be able to say, God, I, I, with all my heart, I strove after the good work you gave me to walk in. Didn't complete it perfectly, of course. Tons of confusion along the way. I also believe that on that day, I'm going to rest from my labor. And until that day, there's work to be done. Henry Nouwen said this, one of the most important spiritual disciplines to develop is the knowledge that the years of our lives are years on a mission. Let me wrap up my time. I'm not quite done yet. <laughs> I'm used to preaching at least 45 minutes, so I'm trying to cram this in. Let me wrap up my time, though, talking about my story a little bit, about how I moved from the orphan crisis on this planet being someone's problem that someone should do something about to it being our problem, Christians, that I should do something about. I moved from we have to do something to I have something to do. But let me tell you, like almost all change, it wasn't easy. God used two primary things, ready? The Bible and my spouse. The Bible and my spouse. Every other year for a long, 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 long time, I've just committed to read the Bible cover to cover. In the off years, I kind of linger and move about. I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so I like variety and change. But I need the structure every other year. I want to just see what's in this book. So probably, I don't know, 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I read the Bible, and each year I just ask God, is there some filter you want me to read through the scriptures this year? And one year it was this, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. Read through Genesis, through Revelation, just with that lens, just seeing what does the Bible collectively have to say about those, those groups of people. I was utterly stunned to see how those three categories of people that are really representative for other categories of people, but they are woven through all parts of the Bible. That event changed my life. I didn't know it at the time. I was just reading, I was just reading a Bible program because I need some discipline in my life, so I just did it. Read these six chapters today. Okay, cool. I got done with that, and what I realized as I look back on it is God used the Bible to steer my life. Here's one of the things that came out of that, that adopting and assisting vulnerable children isn't just a concern of God, it is a priority of God. It's not mentioned one or two times. It's not a one-off. It's not like, well, maybe they got the Greek wrong. No, it's just woven through it all. More than writing a check, God's word challenges Christians to invite the poor and the needy and the oppressed and the vulnerable into our very lives. The 
This will look different for each Christian, but it will certainly have something in common for every Christian, and that is this. It will change your current comfort level, period. Like I said, change is hard, so brace yourself. John the, John the Baptist preaches Jesus. People get convicted. They say, what should we do? He doesn't say, go get into some classes. Go gather and sing worship songs. No, what does he say? He says really clearly, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Here's a novel concept. Share what's already in your hand. He didn't say, go get a bunch of money so you can have a bunch of extra food and then give that away at the canned food drive when the kids come around your thing. Give them the lima beans. <laughs> he says, give what you have right now. Here's what that means. If we start to live this out, it means that giving shirts changes our standard of living. We live less comfortable with fewer choices. Now I'm stepping on some of your toes. You're like, don't mess with my wardrobe. I'm one of those fashion people. Sharing food means that you will go with less while costing you more. That messes with every budget that you've ever heard of before. Here's the reality. This is going to get expensive. And that's just the surface logistical stuff. Honestly, that's the easy stuff. It, leaves it, it leads you to a place of this. God help us. God help us. We come on Sunday, we are desperate for God. We sing the lyrics, they sound different when we're, when we're like just way out there saying, God, help us. I know this is the good you've called me to do, but we need your help. Romans 15, 7, so amazing. It says this, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Did Christ welcome you with a free latte and a firm handshake? Uh-uh. Christ welcomed you into his very own home, into his family, a seat around the table of God. The Greek word that's used there is proslambano. It means this, to receive, to take hold of, to bring along, to gather together. Listen to this. To grant someone access to your heart. With that definition in mind, let me read this again. As Christ has proslambanoed you, granted access to his heart, brought you alongside, drawn you in, so you now go and proslambano one another. Whoa! I mean, this is just a huge verse sitting in your Bible with massive implications. Every time that you sing and celebrate about the great love that God has for you, and please keep doing that, don't stop. Walk out these doors and figure out how to live out that song, live out that lyric. Say, God, who is it that I'm supposed to welcome in? God is glorified by our obedience, not just by our knowledge. You're going to skip James one uh, twenty one. You can go read James chapter 1. I highly recommend it. It's a good chapter, but we're going to move on. All right, so he didn't just provide the Bible. He doesn't just provide words. He provides people. Uh, let me just say this. I'm in that rare club of Christian pastors who have nine kids from six different women. 
And there's one reason you should continue listening to a Christian pastor who has nine kids from six different women. It's because I said from six different women, not with six different women, right? There's a massive difference. This picture will kind of help you out a little bit. So my wife had a dream in junior high that she would have 10 children, that she'd be sitting at her dinner table and different colored faces would be looking back at her. Junior high, you guys. I hope you tell your kids to dream big. Not the Disney nonsense. You can't be anything you want. I wanted to play football in the NFL. Look at me. <laughs> Not going to happen. Dream big with God's dream. So I start dating this amazing girl in my youth group. She tells me her dream right up front. I said, man, that's so noble. That's so admirable. That's so awesome. I'm a little slow on the uptake. It didn't, it didn't dawn on me that that would involve me having 10 kids with different colored faces looking back at me. After two biological boys and one biological girl, we said, man, we have one of each gender. We'd love to start adopting. We tried to adopt from the country of Georgia at the time a reported death rate in orphanages of 50%. Those on the ground said, that's putting a good face on it. It's 70%. It was the worst country we had knowledge of at the time of where what seemed like the greatest need. I may not be a great parent, but I can be better than death for this child. So we just began to pursue that. We had a fourth surprise biological child. She's a senior in high school now. After that, we adopted our, our daughter Cassie, two years old, from a Chinese orphanage. A few years later, uh, God prompted us to adopt from Ethiopia, and our, our two 11-year-olds are two months apart, non-biological siblings now because of the shared last name and, and being in our family. Uh, and then just not that long ago, again, we went back to China, Zhengzhou, China, and adopted a little boy, a little girl, Everly and Tate, our two youngest. So I'm thankful I still have hair. It went gray very quickly after the last two. No joke. I don't know if these kids are making me age rapidly or keeping me young, but one of the two. It's fun being in a large family. We, uh, people ask me what I do, and, and I say, well, I pastor a church and I father children. And to that, they say, wow, I've never met a cult leader before. What, what's that like? I was at Costco one time, no joke. And I had a gentleman tap me on the shoulder and he said, LDS. And I said, no, I'm trying to quit. Thank you. <laughs> but we get mistaken all the time. Wherever we go, there's just all kinds of comments. Who feeds those kids? I'm like, our butler, like, oh, we do, you know, like, it's just uh, shelter in place. We've, we've really uh, felt a certain camaraderie with Noah. Uh, we had 11 of us in our house uh, with two dogs, two cats, two birds, and one snake. Um, I married Dr. Doolittle. I already knew that when I was going into the marriage. Seriously, at some point, I bought some doves and started sending them out for help. I was just like, someone get me out of this place. Let me tell you this, I am blessed not in the knowledge of our spiritual adoption and then thinking about the concept of adoption, I am blessed in the doing, which is what James talks about. I look at my wife on the hardest days and I could tell you a story this morning of a hard day. I look at my wife across the room and I, I thank her on a regular basis Thank you for being faithful to God's dream in your life. It's the hardest thing 
and best thing that ever happened to me. It led to this question, what if churches became the place where abused and neglected kids became beloved sons and daughters? I'm here to tell you it's a sermon for another time. I'm seeing this happen at church after church after church around the Bay Area. And Foster the City was born out of a heart for this and a need for this. Let me show you this next screen. We have a, we have a dream really with Foster the City that just says this. We, we believe there's a church for every child. If every single church in the Santa Clara County were to raise up one foster family with a care community of four support friends, Catch this, there would be a long line of gospel-motivated, government-approved families waiting for children the moment they have need of a safe and loving home. Do you know what the current reality is? It's inverted. There's a long line of babies, young children, teenagers, who are in need of a safe, loving place to land. Would you close your eyes just for a second? I apologize. I've gone over time. Band, why don't you make your way back up? Here's an easy next step. I'm going to be standing outside with a table. I have some Foster the City teammates. We would love to meet you. We have interest meetings take place all the time, virtually and in person. That is a great first step to just say, I'm not signing up to be a foster parent. I just want to know more about it. What's my something? What's the next step I might be able to take in this good work. Would you pray with me? God, I pray for this assembling of people. God, I think when a guest speaker comes, we're extra mindful that we're part of a bigger, broader family. I'm an uncle from down the way that worships every Sunday just like these folks do. God, we've already gathered around your throne this morning. We're marveling at your faithfulness, at your goodness to us. God, it really is running after us. Thank you for years on my life now that from the age of 17, I can look back and trace the way you've pursued me with your goodness. We don't deserve you, but we get you. And for that, we're grateful. God, I pray this morning that you would stir in the hearts and lives of people. God, would you help people in this community to find their good work and cling to it with all their might and not let go. Persevere in doing good and reaping the harvest of righteousness you have. In Jesus' name, amen.